Cultivated Marketer, Episode 18, Why Influence Beats Intelligence with Dan Gregory. In this episode of Cultivated Marketer, we talk with a keynote speaker from the IABC World Conference who tells us that influence is a learned skill. Find out how. Welcome to Cultivated Marketer, where we talk marketing professional development so your garden of opportunity grows. This is Brent Bowen and my partner in crime in professional development, Matt Tidwell, is not together with me while we do this recap. We'll do an extensive recap of IBC Worldcon before the next episode, but Matt and I were able to spend a little bit of time and some of the social gatherings, receptions. It was great for he and I to reconnect just even beyond, you know, our, our Kansas city Midwest setting, but to do that in New York was a great environment to, to catch up and spend a little bit of time with him. And we'll, we'll recount some of those activities when we're, when we're together in person again here in another week or two. But all in all, it was great to reconnect with peers and colleagues. We hadn't seen, I, I hadn't seen many of those peers or colleagues since 2019. That 2019 in Vancouver was the last time everybody was in person together at IBC World Conference. So I know we had a, a tremendous set of conversations informally all across the conference as well as formally, which some of those we're going to bring those to you in the coming weeks. But I want to express a special shout out to the Dynaround crew that I was able to join on Monday night of the conference after I was able to give my presentation. We ate at Gallagher's, which is a great steakhouse in in New York City, not too far from Times Square. That's where the conference was was held. And if you're not familiar with the dine around concept, I, I particularly had not participated in one up until this point. Truly, when I was in Vancouver, I participated in one of the dine arounds, but most of the people in the dine around, you know, when it was scheduled, most everybody at the table knew one another. And, and I, the concept is essentially at these conferences, the, the organizer of the conference booked several restaurants. In this case, there were 18 restaurants that were booked across New York City with the idea that 10 people who may not know one another will actually book a reservation and get to know a new group of people. And I, I met a fabulous group of people, you know, communication professionals, marketing professionals at my dine around and and I can't what four of whom were from the Minnesota area and they didn't know each other, which was super cool. And I can't wait to go back to, to visit Minnesota soon to catch up with them. But Matt and I, like I said, Matt and I'll talk more about that in the coming weeks and in our experience around, around the dine arounds, because I think it's a really nice piece of the overall programming of, of the, the conference. And if you haven't had the opportunity to do one of those really pretty cool as I mentioned, we were pretty busy, you know, among the sessions that we had. So I, you know, I was presenting Monday, so I was plenty busy, you know, just even preparing for my presentation. But after my presentation, Matt and I were able to sit down and connect with a couple different folks for formal conversations 
at the conference, and we'll be bringing those interviews to you. The first of which will be a conversation that we had with Dan Gregory on why influence beats intelligence. And Dan's a really interesting guy. He's a self-proclaimed introvert who has, he'll express, and you'll hear this in the interview, learn the skill of how to network and how to socialize and how to make that part of his process because his belief is part of the skills of great leaders aren't the technical skills that you derive in certain functions of your job, but they're different soft skills. So we compare and contrast technical skills and soft skills in this conversation. And it's interesting to hear the links that Dan went to actually start to learn these soft skills. So we'll talk to Dan about that and you'll hear about that in just a few moments. In future weeks, you'll also hear from Darcy Eichenberg. So we sat down with Darcy and talked about how to be your own hero at work. And the gist of that conversation is that many professionals, when times get tough in their current role, you know, it's either fight or flight, right? And she has this process and mode of thinking where she encourages folks to instead of just immediately determining to flee, reassess and examine the situation and think about that situation to see if you can turn that situation. And is it about how you think about the situation that's really influencing it? So we'll talk to, to Darcy Eichenberg about that here in coming weeks. And then the other conversation after that chat with Darcy will be one with Brad Whitworth. Then it's a topic that Matt and I hadn't really discussed up until this point in any great degree, but certifications are becoming increasingly important in professional development. And there are a lot of technical certifications that are becoming important. I know, you know, for the work I do, we have to achieve SEO certifications, Google partner certifications, where Brad's going to talk a, about a different kind of certification process. He's really responsible for a lot of the IBC certification program, and it's more strategic. And he talks about how those strategic certifications can really help one's career. So those are some of the conversations we know we're going to be bringing you. There were some additional you know, chats we had with different individuals around we wanted to get them on the show and we'll get them on the show remotely and bring them to you from discussions we had at the conference as well. So those will be coming. But before I leave you and turn you over to Dan to hear about how influence beats intelligence, a couple little updates and just to show that I'm not overly biased, just IEBC. I'm also, you know, helping social media club of Kansas city here locally too, and a part of their board group. And there are a couple great professional development opportunities that are taking place there, as well as some great ones at IBC. So I encourage you locally, if you're in the Kansas City region, definitely take a look at the IBC roster of events. I know it's published up on the website. There's one on business writing that's coming up about, it should be about the time this episode drops. And then they've got a full calendar of events that are taking place. I presented earlier this year to the local IBC chapter on, on live streaming video. So significant supporter of, of IBC locally as well, but social media club of Kansas city, August 5th, 
has media personality Ali Trost, who's affiliated with Sporting KC, as well as the new women's soccer team, the KC Current. So she's going to be talking about leveraging social media to help build your career. So that's taking place August 5th. So mark your calendar for that location, I think is still TBD, but by, by the time this episode drops, they should have a location situated for that. And then the other date to mark on your calendar is September 23rd, where big brothers, big sisters of Kansas city just went through a significant rebranding exercise. And so they're going to be talking about rebranding for a purpose. And it's essentially a case study of rebranding a hundred plus year old nonprofit for a new era, basically. And that will be hosted at big brothers, big sisters, of Kansas city at 1709 Walnut, but watch for details on specific times of that event. So August 5th and September 23rd, some other great, opportunities to network with your peers at social media club events. So social media club of Kansas city, then also check out the KCIBC website for events because they're really committed to doing things monthly for sure. With that, I don't want to keep you away from Dan. Great conversation that we have. It's got that Australian accent. How can you beat that chat with Dan about how influence and why influence beats intelligence. This is Brent Bowen. And I'm Matt Tidwell. And we are at the IABC World Conference here in New York City, and we're sitting down with Dan Gregory, who just finished a fabulous session I know Matt's going to touch on. And we're going to spend about 20 minutes with Dan and, and Matt chatting a little human behavior. Yeah, thanks, Brent. So excited to have been able to, you know, we're, we're lurking around here at World Conference, pulling people by the arm and, and putting a, a, our microphone in front of them. He literally didn't pull you by the arm, did he? Close. No, it was, it was, it was definitely lurking, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Dan gave me that corner of the eye. Who is this gentleman? Who is this gentleman? And why does he look like he's going to accost I used my ABC me. board badge to give me instant credibility, right? But no, I, I'm so glad we were able to, to, to strong arm Dan and, and, and get him down to our lair here, Brent, because fascinating topic that we've talked about a little bit before on prior shows. Dan and his partner, Kieran Flanagan, I should mention Dan's his organization is called the Behavior Report, and Dan's from Australia, as are many IABC World Conference attendees, so he fit right in there. But the, the title of their presentation this morning was, Influence is More Important Than Intelligence. I think mm-hmm. I got that right, Dan. But again, we've talked about how, as communicators, we need to be students of human behavior. And we need to be sort of, you know, very cognizant of that as we go through, particularly our professional development. It's not all about the tools, right? The tools for communicators are out there. It's also about how we approach the stakeholders. And so, Dan, did I first of all, did I characterize your presentation correctly? Did I did I miss anything there? No, no, I think no, I think you've 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 really nailed it, Matt. I think what we started with. So one one of the reasons we came to this position was I would often be called into to speak to groups of very intelligent people, scientists, engineers, people who who topped the class in school and were not experiencing the kind of impact or influence that they wanted to and were frustrated and couldn't work out why. And it it kind of reflected my own, I guess my own school experience. So I, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney, which is sort of where the working class people live 
So in Australia, if you, if you can smell salt water, you're wealthy. If you live further away from the coast, which is where I live, I live away from the water, so I don't smell salt water. If I'm lucky, river water or pond water. But yeah, so what, what I realized was, I, you know, I kind of topped my school in pretty much every subject and success just didn't happen. And so we kind of get taught that, you know, if you do well at school and, you know, you apply yourself and, and then you go to university or, or college, you know, that's, that's the path to success. And it turned out that wasn't exactly the path to success. And so I, I became really fascinated with it. I thought, well, okay, well, clearly intelligence isn't, you know, the, the silver bullet that we've been promised. And that really led to a really interesting conversation and, and, and I think informed, you know, my own inquiry into human behavior and influence and psychology and sociology, which has sort of become the, you know, you know, the great passion of my life. And I think that, you know, as I said, when I'm, when I'm asked to come in and speak, you know, I was speaking to some, some climate scientists and, you know, I, I quite often get brought in to be a, prov a provocateur, mm. you know, to, to challenge them with concepts that they may not want to hear and to use humor as an anesthetic. And so that's kind of my gig. So I went in and I said, look, the problem is, is you think being right is enough. You think being right gets the result. And I said, right doesn't get the result. Right doesn't get you rich. You know, you actually need something more than that. And that's a really frustrating message for them. I could see it was really upsetting them too. And I said, well, well, let's be scientists about it, given that everyone here in the room is a scientist. You know, we've been double-blind testing the but-I'm-right hypothesis for the past 50 years. It's never produced a positive result. Maybe the scientific thing to do is to fail that hypothesis and try a new one. And, and it's interesting. When you look around the world, you look at, you know, whether they be business leaders or political leaders, and you go, how did that person end up in a position of authority? Because they're, they're rarely the smartest person in the room or the most qualified person in the room. However, typically they tend to be the most influential person in the room or, or at least the person who's best at generating influence with people. So they've got great people smarts, but they're not necessarily smart people. So that's kind of where the, I guess the genesis of the, this morning's keynote came from is, is Kieran and I being brought in to help people who are smart to be people smart as well. So Yeah. yeah. So... And you even see that in some job descriptions now where the notion of being able to gain acceptance or gain, not authority, but gain acceptance into ideas and concepts, particularly in the marketing and communication field. I've seen that sprinkled into some, mm. some job descriptions of, of the ability to win over and influence colleagues. And what attributes, if you're an individual, so I, was, I actually spoke about Elon Musk yesterday in my presentation, right? And it, it probably strikes me based on the things I know about Elon Musk, that he probably wasn't the type of individual that was gaining influence and winning over people. And how can that be a learned skill? Oh, I think it very much is a learned skill. You know, if I, th if I think back to myself, so in high school, I was very quiet and academic. I never would have gathered that from your presentation no, but this I'm, morning, but I just, just as an no, aside, but, but, I was in the room. Yeah. But, I, but I'm incredibly introverted by, by nature. You know, mm -hmm. I, that, that's where I would over-index. However, what I realized was when I started my, my advertising career, which is where I started my, my, my business career, I realized that it wasn't just about being a good strategist or being a good creative person. 90% of my work was walking into a boardroom 
and asking people for millions of dollars to produce a drawing that I'd done overnight and their careers were at stake. And I mean, that's a high degree of trust sale. And, and I was awful at that. Like it was, it was, it was bordering on a personality disorder. I was, I was so bad at talking to people. And so I, I ended up, I, I spent three and a half, almost four years traveling the world working as a stand-up comedian because I wanted to get good. I wanted to get bulletproof. I wanted to get comfortable in front of a hostile audience. And so I really developed that skill. So if you say to someone that I went to school with, oh, yeah, you know, Dan ended up a stand-up comedian and now he travels around the world speaking to people, you know, thousands of people. in room. It's, it's, it doesn't marry with who I was back then. Their impression of what you were yeah. Yeah, at the time. So it's, it's absolutely a very, very much a learned skill and certainly was for me. Having said that, I think some people are more natural. So my business partner, Kieran, you mentioned she's probably, you know, the highest emotional intelligence of anyone I've ever met, which is not my natural position and why we work well together. It's a mm. complementary skill set. But she has a very natural way of, you know, starting conversations and easing in and she makes people feel heard and empathized with, whereas I had to work at that. So I think, I think that's a really important skill. And in fact, you know, if I think about, you know, this podcast is really talking to people at the beginning of their career or, or certainly early on in their career. Yes. And, and I guess the, you know, the big thing that, that we've noticed, we do a lot of leadership development and typically the skills that made you good at your job are not the skills that will make you good at being a leader. And so you get a lot of people who are very technically proficient or technically smart, but not very people smart. And so oftentimes it's those what we used to call soft skills, communication, empathy, being able to create a sense of purpose, being able to build a team, that what we used to call soft skills are actually the critical skills if you want to be a leader. Like if you want to be a good professional, technical skills are great, but there's there's a ceiling on that. And and what gets you beyond the ceiling is your capacity to work with people. Yeah, we haven't had this show going very long, Dan, but I can tell you that what you just said, that, that you know, leadership is really about bringing those, those softer skills. I, I sometimes don't like that term, but, but yeah. exactly the kinds of things you described are, are just hugely important as a leader. And, you know, as I was going back through, it was very interesting in, in their presentation this morning, Brent, because they talked about some very specific things that you should do to increase your influence. And a couple of them come to mind here as, as, we're, as you were just talking. And one was align your values as a communicator with the values of your target. It seems like that should be intuitive, but often people miss that, right? And I, and I know you guys talked about that. Yeah, it's really not intuitive. I mean, it sounds like it should be, but you know, most of the time we're communicating from our own point of view. Like I need Matt and Brent to get a particular worldview and I need them to agree with me. You know, it's, it's a very egocentric view of communication. Whereas if I think of what's the win for, for Brent and Matt, and if, I, if my communication comes from that, well, mm. all of a sudden you're going to think, hey, I really like this guy. You know, it's like the easiest way to, to win an argument is to start by agreeing with the person you're arguing with. And what happens is, you know, and Cialdini talks about this in, in Reciprocity, that if you agree with someone enough, there becomes this expectation gap where they feel like, well, I've got to agree with something that he said you know, or otherwise it's, you know, that, you know, I'm going to look like, you know, I'm, I'm really selfish in this conversation. Hmm. So I think that that's, that's a big part of it as well. And I think that, so I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I was working with some pharmaceutical salespeople in Australia, 400 pharmaceutical salespeople in the room. And I said to them, okay, let's, let's talk about your customers. Their customers are doctors. I go, 
So you tell me, what do you think your, what do you think your customers sell? What business are they in? What do they sell? And they all, you know, and I got them to yell it out and they all go, health or wellness or drugs or, you know, (laughs) therapy. And I go, no, doctors are professional services. Doctors sell time. If I go and see my doctor, Shane, he says, Dan, you're a diabetic with high blood pressure. He writes me a prescription. I walk out the front door. I have a massive stroke. Well, I didn't get health. I didn't get well-being. Shane still got paid. I didn't make it to the pharmacy to get my drugs. Shane got paid. I said, here's the thing. Every one of you, pharmaceutical salespeople is on the phone every day. What's the one thing you ask your customers to give you for free? And, of course, it's time. So you're infringing on your customers' values, asking them to give away the thing they sell. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you came from a position of I'm in the business of helping you multiply your time or helping you get more value from your time and I do that through the pharmaceuticals or the pharmaceutical processes that I sell, all of a sudden I see you as a business asset, not someone trying to sell me something. And I think that's a really critical thing to do. I'm always, you know, I mean, I know I kind of had a a bit of a dig at Simon Sinek on mm-hmm. stage. I actually think his book's terrific. But I caught that. But yes. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're slightly more blunt than Americans, Australians. So, you know, it's, I don't always add a lot of anesthetic to what I say. But I think, you know, my position is that, yes, starting with why is incredibly important, but rather than starting with why, we should start with who. In the same way you, and we do this intuitively, you know, you don't, you know, drop the F-bomb or the C-bomb in front of Nana, right? You know, we, we change our language depending on who we're talking to. If we're talking to friends, if we're talking to parents, if we're talking to a lover, for instance. And I think we do that intuitively, but when we, when we get to commercial communication, we tend to think, well, actually, now I'm going to strip all the human, humanity and all of the empathy and all of the understanding away from my communication. And I think that's a real mistake. And you're starting to touch on that. One of the other points of your presentation was, and I heard the bluntness and, you know, mm. you speaking in a blunt way and then also aligning yourself with audience you talk about minding your language yeah and what is and what does that mean when you say you mind your language is it is it the bluntness that i might share with you in the in minding your language i, no, or I, think, is it's, it, I think it's about choosing your language is, is what mind your language really means so the example that kieran gave oh i love that yes i was just yeah. gonna ask you to talk about that was this the <laughs> was this the gentleman who who has the tree or, oh no no oh, okay, actually okay, okay. i'll come to that though. okay okay good so good, good. but but in terms of minding the language you know, we did some work with the United Nations in Singapore and the Singapore government on trying to help them deal with the, the, the issue of human trafficking. And one of the things that we talked about was, we, you know, we euphemize our language and we soften it and it lessens its impact. So if we say human trafficking, human trafficking sounds a lot nicer than, say, slavery, which is a hard word. And Singapore's sex industry sounds nicer than organized kidnapping and rape. And we said, here's the problem with euphemizing the language is the more we soften the language, the less urgent it is. Like, yeah, we should deal with human trafficking, but if you say Singapore's got a real slavery problem and you're a first world country, all of a sudden that's like, oh my God, that's a real political thing that we need to deal with. That's, you know, that's a source of national shame. And it it reminds me, you know, my favorite comedian growing up was George Carlin. And he used to talk about euphemizing language. He did this great routine. I can't remember it exactly, but he talked about, you know, in, in World War I, we had shell shock, you know, and it was, it was brutal language. And then we went battle fatigue, <laughs> battle <laughs> fatigue. I remember you know, that bit. Post-traumatic yeah. <laughs> stress disorder. You know, we stripped the humanity out. We added more syllables and it softened it. And 
And, and that was kind of what we brought to, to that particular issue was, no, no, let's keep the language hard because if the language is hard and we feel nationally ashamed, the impetus for action increases. And I think that's, so that's kind of what Mind Your Language was, was really about. But the, the marketing piece of that, that was the, because I know you all come from, you're certainly marketers, right? Had your yeah. own agency, I think, for a yes. while. And, and, and I'll just, I'll tell it very quickly here because we don't have much time with Dan. But the terrific story, there was a gentleman that worked in, in sort of tree salvage, we would think of, or, you know, taking out your, yeah, your so tree. So what was the name of his company originally? Tree Lopper. It was, it was Nick's or Arbus. You know, so, so he's, it was Nick's Tree Lopping, right? And he's this young guy. He can't, you know, and we were, doing, we were doing an exercise. We were working with entrepreneurs in the room, helping them build their brands. And we said, we said okay, well, what, you know, let's move beyond what you offer as a service and talk about value. And he said, we said, what value do you really provide? And he said, well, Kieran and Dan, I make people feel good about cutting down trees. And we said, wow. Probably don't put that on the website. But what do you mean? And he said, well, if the diameter of the branch that I'm cutting down on the tree is any bigger than, say, 20 centimeters, which is seven inches, right? He goes, usually it gets chipped. And when you chip wood or run it through a wood chipper, it releases all of the stored carbon. So not only are you preventing the tree from absorbing carbon, you're actually releasing carbon that it's already absorbed. So it's a double whammy. And, and he said, I don't do that. If, it's, if the timber's of a sufficient size, I keep the timber and I turn it into furniture, hmm. right? So this is, this is nowhere on his website. The website's just pictures of Nick, handsome-looking 24-year-old guy from Melbourne with a chainsaw. It's like a Tinder profile, right? <laughs> and we go, no, 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 this is your entire business. And so we said, we're going to change the name of your business. So your business is now called treeincarnation.com. And so he registered it immediately. And we go, so it's all about what will your tree come back as? You know, and so what we said, look, at the, at the logical level, you're in, you're in the tree removal business. At the emotional level, which sits beneath that, you're sort of taking people from feeling, well, I don't really want to cut a tree down, but I need it to cut down, so I'm not feeling great, but I want to feel all right. And at a psychological level, which sits beneath both the logical and the emotional, he wasn't in the tree removal business, he was in the guilt removal business. Yeah, in the carbon mm. suppression business. It's well, and that's, yeah. and, but that's where the, where the cell was, and that's, that's the true value he was providing but he was talking all about the functional and the service. And it's like, no, no, that's not where the sale is. Mm -hmm. The sale's in the psychological connection. Such yes. a good point for young communicators, Brent, because you know what the training begins with communicate your features and your benefits of your product. Be very product specific, right? Mm. We see that so often. And I, I just, I'm not sure we're getting that right in the training. I think it's getting more down into that emotional, visceral reaction level. We need to, we need to encourage young marketers. Well, I, I think it's a couple of things that I've heard here. It's that you attitude that mm -hmm. was constantly taught, yep, even attitude. at undergrad, right? That you attitude and then aligning with the values and thinking about what you want that individual to think or do as it relates to the value you provide. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's yeah. the, I'm just thinking about three different mentors that in about 20 minutes, it took me decades to, to pull together probably. <laughs> do you know, I'll, t I'll tell you a really interesting example. You know, in Australia, the, you know, the, when we see the news of the world, all we see is the worst of what's happening around the world. So when we see, you know, news out of the United States, we don't see the great stuff that happens. We see the political division, right? You know, and that's, and that's, you know, and that's not the truth of the United States, but you don't really know that if all you're doing is sitting in Sydney or Melbourne and watching the news. And I think, but the, the interesting thing that I've, that I've noticed is we're less good at having disagreements than we used to be. And I think it's very easy to say, well, you're stupid. You don't agree with me. You're an idiot. And to really be insulting and disrespectful. 
as opposed to saying, well, actually, if I really want to change your point of view, I need to align what I'm interested in with what you already care about. It's very difficult for me to make you care about something new. But if I show you, if you care about your family or if you care, if you're very nationalistic, if I show you that actually this, you know, this thing that I want you to buy into makes you a good American, it makes you a good community member, well, you're far more likely to buy in. And I think that's, it's incumbent upon us as professional communicators to actually rebuild some of those connections in our communities because we are polarizing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not just here in the United States, it's happening all around the world. We, you know, we see it at home as well. And you gave some examples. Yeah, and it's, you know, there is that polarization. And I think that's, that's one of the most critical issues we've got is the, you know, we used to be really good at building communities. We used to, and we still do it. You know, if there's a, you know, if there's a bushfire in Australia or a tornado here in the States, you know, people come together again. We should be better at doing that without having to be forced. Be nice to yeah. do that in something other than a crisis. Well, you know, Dan, gosh, you, you've been so generous with your time this morning. And, and I know a lot of people really got a lot out of your presentation. Where can we find out more about you and your partner? Where, where can we share sure. your content and things like yeah, that? Yeah, you can follow us that. at The Behavior Report. Uh, at The Behavior, spelled the English way with a U, okay. Okay. RPT. Or go to tbr.news, which is our website. tbr.news. News. Got it. Excellent. Terrific. Well, thank you again for speaking this morning. Thank you for we're all that stands between Dan and lunch here since I pulled him, out, pulled him away. <laughs> so we'll let him get back to that. But really appreciate your time and, and thanks for sharing with our listeners. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, yeah. Brent. It's been fun. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. If you found value in today's episode, check us out on our website, cultivatedmarketer.com. You'll also be able to subscribe to us, rate us, and leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Remember, a garden of opportunity grows with Cultivated Marketer. <laughs>